gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you came from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And the people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in my sight. Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Our gospel lesson today gives us two questions. First, the question that Jesus deftly avoids. Who is being saved? And the other is the one that Jesus poses to us. What does it mean to strive to enter through the narrow door. What does it mean to strive to enter into the narrow door? What's the door? What are the temptations that we have as we read this and we think, oh, I know what the door is before we look at the scripture? We have a temptation to take our theology, our, our expectations, and force them into this question. But instead, let us take a look at how Luke has set up this question. Our gospel starts with a reminder of where we are on this pilgrim journey. Luke writes, he went on through his way through the towns and the villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Jesus has left this ministry in Galilee. This really kind of expected ministry is an itinerant preacher comes, and there's healing, and there's word from God, and there's great joy and expectation. And he departs from that in this wilderness journey through Samaria to the unexpected way of the cross. We hear in Isaiah, he went to do his deed, and strange is his deed, and to do work his work, and alien to us is that work. Why would the Son of God, the King of glory, submit himself to the cross? Last week, we heard Jesus admonishing the crowds for the inability to recognize him and to recognize the very answer to their prayers manifest 
in the Messiah that stood before him, to recognize the inbreaking kingdom of God. From that point to our lesson today, Jesus goes on to call the people to reconciliation. Don't go to the magistrate when you have a dispute with your brother. Settle it. Be at peace one with another. He calls the people to repentance. Turn away from what you are doing and turn to the kingdom. He goes into the synagogue, demonstrates the very power of God, healing a woman who has been crippled for 18 years. This miraculous healing and the leaders of the synagogue say, why did you do that on the Sabbath? This is where we worship God, not see God work. This is the first part of the Lucan sandwich that we find ourselves in. We have the healing of the woman at the synagogue and a few passages after this, we have the woman or the, the man with edema that is healed again on the Sabbath. And Jesus asks again this question, is it lawful, is it right, is it good to see people freed from bondage in the presence of God on the Sabbath? Immediately before this passage, Jesus tells two familiar parables of the kingdom, comparing the kingdom of God to a mustard seed that is small and that's planted and becomes a great bush that gives shelter to many birds and to yeast that is mixed with dough until all the dough is leavened. And now we have Jesus teaching and proclaiming the kingdom in the towns and the villages as he goes about his way to Jerusalem. And a man comes up and he says, Lord, Will those who are saved be few? Now, most often, I, I really like the ESV translation that we use, but this is a place that they get it a little bit wrong. We're so ingrained in our own theology that we, we must say that, wow, the original text is wrong, so we fix it. The original text has it in the passive present rather than the passive future. Those who are being saved, will those who are being saved be few? See, the kingdom of God is at work around us and among us. The kingdom of God doesn't await us at some later time. The kingdom of God is manifest in our midst. So this man recognizes this. He calls Jesus Lord. He gets it. He says, will those who are being saved be few? Now let's take a moment again to look at this word saved, because it's been over-theologized and over-futurized in our church context. We've made salvation something that happens once. It is only important when we die. But instead, the word that is used means healing and wholeness. Will those who are healed be few? Will those who are being healed and made whole be few or many? Will those who are being rescued is another way that we might see that. I don't know about you, but I've yet to meet someone who doesn't need healing, particularly the guy I look at every morning in the mirror. 
It's not something, this salvation, this being saved, is an active and ongoing work of God. So this man comes up and says, will those who are being saved, Lord, I know you're the Messiah, will those who are being saved be few? Is it just going to be me and guys like me? Is it just going to be my particular sect? Or, or maybe even all the Judeans? Or, oh, it, it can't be all of Israel, including these Samaritans around us. See, Jesus is preaching to the Judeans. He's preaching to those within the circle. He's preaching to those who know that they're chosen, who have actually placed their hope not in God, but in their father Abraham. Jesus isn't talking, and this man, they aren't talking about the Gentiles, those who haven't even entered the equation yet. Jesus doesn't fall for this sectarian question. Is it just going to be me who's being saved, or... What about those guys over there? Instead, Jesus looks at this man and says, even you need healing. He says, strive to enter through the narrow door. So what do we make of this? This striving, this going about the business of walking through the narrow door. We don't have enough information yet from the text to draw any conclusions, but Jesus does provide us some help in the form of another parable. Yet again, we have a household and a knocking on the door. You know, in recent weeks, we've heard Jesus tell stories like this. The persistence in prayer of a man who comes and knocks on his neighbor's door at midnight asking bread so he may maintain hospitality in the town. The waiting servants who wait in faith for the master to return that they may open the door at his knock. And now we have this glorious kingdom feast, the messianic feast of all those who are gathered together and the people who are so confident that they'll be there are standing outside knocking And the master says, go away, I don't even know you. We hear in Isaiah this judgment, this judgment that makes us uncomfortable. Isaiah talks about this judgment against this people who have been called to honor God, have been called to trust in God. Instead, they've made a covenant with death. They've said, no, life, we don't want to be engaged in life, we would rather be subject and slaves to death. We cannot be slaves to death and children of life. It's one of those impossibilities. We can't be both dead and alive. So those who Jesus comes and he says, I am the way and the truth and the life, as they refuse Jesus, they maintain their covenant with death and are not known when they come to the feast that they've been expecting and praying for. 
they're the people who think they're in. Not because of what they believe, not because of what they've done, but because of who their father is. We are children of Abraham. We are the chosen ones. Of course we're in. Jesus says no. He says that the master will say, I do not know where you come from. He basically says, I don't even know who your father is. said our father is Abraham. God has invited them to call him father. And they have chosen not to. They're surprised when they don't enjoy the feast that their father has invited them to. They say, hey, wait. Wait. We saw you. We saw you. We, we ate with you. We heard you teach. And we refused you. Please let us in. Jesus says to them, I tell you, I do not even know where you come from. Depart from me, you workers of evil. We have on one hand Jesus commanding, strive to enter through the narrow door. And when we don't strive to enter through the narrow door, he says, if you're not striving to do the work of the kingdom of God, you are working evil. So I wonder, what are we striving for? In our day-to-day -day lives, what do we strive for? Do we strive for money and fame and power and recognition? Do we strive to be our own saviors? Do we strive to hide our need from healing from everyone around us, including God? Or do we strive to live in the kingdom? This is the first surprise for those who think they're in. I don't know who your father is. And now Jesus says, and in surprise you will look through the windows at this feast that you're not able to join. And you'll see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, those that you've placed your hope in. And all the prophets that have pointed your hearts to God that you've killed between the steps and the altar. For that's the prophet's fate in Jerusalem. You'll see all these people reclining, and not only them. You'll see the people who come from the east and the west, and the north and the south, and they recline at the table of God. Will those who are being saved be few, perhaps, but a different few than you think. See, Luke is projecting out to the mission to the Gentiles, to those from the east and the west and the north and the south, those who don't have Abraham as their hope, now have hope in Jesus. So now let's go back to our two questions. 
Are those who are being saved few? Are those who are being healed and made whole right here and right now few or many? Are those who have the humility to bring their brokenness before God and be healed few or many? See, Jesus doesn't put a limit on the number. Instead, he gives us direction to be a part of those who are being healed. Strive to enter through the narrow door. This narrow door that is Jesus. In John's Gospel, we hear Jesus say, I am the door. We strive to enter through that narrow door when we recognize the kingdom work around us. When we recognize in all the distractions of the world, all the temptations to make a covenant with death. When instead we choose to dwell in the kingdom. We read in Hebrews that that kingdom is not a kingdom that we can touch or feel. But it's a spiritual place, a new Jerusalem, the city of God. And it is indeed unshakable. Do we choose to live there? Do we recognize our encounters with Christ? See, we encounter Christ even now by the Holy Spirit. Do we recognize our encounter with Christ at this table in his body and his blood? Do we recognize our encounter with Christ as the word, the very word of God is made flesh in us as the people of God are empowered by the spirit of God and equipped by the word of God to truly be the body of Christ manifesting the kingdom of God in the world. Do we recognize our encounter with Christ in our fellowship with one another? Do we recognize the face of Christ in those that gather together as the body of Christ? Do we recognize our encounter with the risen Christ in our prayer and contemplation? And as we truly strive to enter through the narrow door, do we have the humility to recognize the face of Christ, even in the least of these. The very place that Christ tells us we encounter him. Those that the world calls last, do we see them as first? For theirs is the kingdom. So how do we go about this striving to enter through the narrow door? I think Luke's setting us up for the conclusion of his second book. We've heard the way of Christ, the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God. We've seen the spirit at work moving from Jerusalem and Judea to Samaria to the ends of the world. And Paul 
in prison in Rome when he is once again rejected by those who should recognize him. He goes to the synagogue and those who know the scriptures fail to see Christ revealed in them. And Paul concludes, or Luke concludes the record of Paul's ministry in this way. Paul made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. With their ears they can barely hear, their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. The narrow door, my friends, is a door that we strive to see. The invitation to enter that door is one that we we stretch our ears to hear. But in the end, it is the humility of heart to turn our hearts away from the idolatry of the world, away from the lies and the distractions that lead us away from the kingdom of God, to turn our hearts to God and allow God to heal our very hearts. May we do this and strive to enter through that narrow door. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.